My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in San Francisco, California. He came onto the podcast a year ago, and we had a beautiful conversation about his upbringing and life. One thing I noticed with this conversation was how much he had changed within just a year. I think we often underestimate how long it takes for us to grow. In this conversation, we go deeper into his childhood and his family life. We talk about his post-it note reflections during the quarantine, and we talk about walking into the world as a black man. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Isaiah Jones. I want to start the conversation just, I mean, we're gonna, we're definitely going to be getting into uh, the topics we talked about before um, regarding the everything that's going on right now with coronavirus and all that. But um, I want to start by talking about how you grew up. Um, so you were raised in Upper Darby, just outside of Philly, right? Is that a is that a correct um, the categorization of that? Yep. Cool. Um, so can you paint a picture for us of what it was like to grow up there? What it was like to grow up uh, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school? Yeah. Um, uh, so I'll start with saying. I moved to Upper Darby when I was three years old. Uh, before that, my mom, myself, and my brother lived in another apartment that is closer to the Philadelphia airport. Um, okay. And my brother, my dad did not live with us at the time. He was living at another place. Then when we moved into our place in Upper Darby, uh, my dad also moved in there. Um, and my brother is um we have different dads so uh my brother was didn't really grow up with his dad around um due to just like his dad and his dad and my mom didn't get along very well uh after a decent amount of time but uh i was blessed enough to have my dad and mom in the same house um didn't have a big house we lived in uh, I guess they're called row homes or townhomes, which are all like mm. stacked right next to each other. Yep. Um, and it was a three bedroom upstairs, uh, a basement and like a normal living room, dining room, kitchen setup. Uh, nothing super crazy, but um, yeah, it was a house and we had a garage as well. Uh, yep. So growing up, one of the things that like sets me apart from pretty much every other person in my family is that I went to private school starting in like I think fourth or fifth grade. Uh, my parents did some talking, and my like even my brother went to uh, he went to public public school as well, which funny enough is the same public school that Tina Fey went to because uh, she went to Upper Darby High. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, how, wait, how old is, how much older is your brother? My brother is 11 years older, so he turned 20, 36 this year. Okay. Um, but yeah, so growing up, I was definitely the younger brother, like getting on my older brother's nerves and like coming in to watch him play video games. And even, even a lot of my interests today were like, from him, like, 
like definitely with cars and uh like saved by the bell i didn't know was a thing until i like stole his dvds and watched that uh and now that's like one of my favorite shows um my dad was my dad's always worked a craft i mean he does a crap ton of overtime he would go from working nights so like he'd be sleeping during the day and then when i get home and by the time i'm like done eating dinner he's about to leave out to go to work so he'd work all night and then over the years it would uh swap back and forth um so i didn't like the only time i'd really kick it with my dad would be on the weekends uh and yeah, and like family events and stuff like that. Um, oh, I was going, to, I was talking about the school stuff. So yeah, I went to pri private school from like fourth or fifth grade on. And it was in uh, an area called Haverford, which is the name of my high school. But I went to a school called the Haverford Friends School, which is uh, very close to Haverford College as well. Um, but there was um it, it's it's known as the main line in philadelphia in philadelphia which is basically this more expensive area that has really nice schools and a lot of like rich kids live around there uh but it's the main line like if you're if you're going out there you're doing something right so uh sorry to interrupt but um <laughs> if you were to compare the area that you grew up in versus the area that the, the school was in, were they different or uh, were they fairly similar? They were very different. Um, yeah, so the area that I grew up in was very residential, like not like a suburb, but like uh, there were a lot of houses and then we had like a little like grocery store area and stuff like that. Um, but also it's like, was a neighborhood where there were probably like like my specific side of the street and my like like three block radius i'd say was pretty safe um but there was like a creek down the street from my house that connected like our house to our cousin's house and i'm sure some backwards shit happened in there in the middle of the night and then also uh -huh. you go a couple blocks in the other direction and there is uh like you'll have like drug exchanges and people with guns all that stuff on right. that on that side of the street so i was luckily like not in the middle of all that stuff but um i was uh, yeah i wouldn't say i grew up in danger or anything like that but i definitely didn't grow up around um and then the area that i went to school in which was about a 20 to 25 minute drive away um was i'd say it's pretty bougie like you've got uh there was a ferrari dealership yeah this is probably a good definition of it there was a ferrari dealership that had nothing but glass windows about a mile up the street from my high school and there were a bunch of car dealerships uh along that area that are like a there was a lexus a couple blocks up the street um people i mean if you if you just take a snapshot of the street like the streets were cleaner they were uh the cars rolling down the street became like your audis and your nicer newer cars whereby the cars where i was are your like your half running cars that are like not the newest thing and someone's definitely still paying it off even though it's like six years old or some shit. Yeah. um 
Is that kind of, does that kind of paint a picture? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. If you were to describe like growing up in your house, um, like using emotion words, right? Like like happy, um, cheerful, peaceful, whatever. What what kind of words would you use to describe your childhood and your uh, your upbringing? Mm-hmm. I would say I had a very happy childhood, but I think it was um, yeah. I'd say I had a I had a positive happy childhood and i'd say definitely the feeling in the house was usually under some tension uh because my parents did argue quite a bit um i don't know i feel like especially because it was kind of different once my brother went off to college Mm. uh how did that change the dynamic of your family with your brother leaving i think everyone kind of stayed the same I think I just, my perspective shifted a little bit because my, uh, like my brother left and then I didn't realize that I would ever miss my brother. And I remember him being like in his second year of college or something like that. And I like called him up. I was like, I started crying while I was like eating dinner or something like that. And uh, my mom like pulled him up on the phone and I was telling him that I missed him or something like that. Um, I think I felt more in the center of what was going on because now i was the only like kid in the house right you got all the focus from your parents yeah and i'd say all the focus from like my mom my dad didn't really that didn't really change much for him uh because of like work and all that stuff right um yeah i'd say that would that would be one of the shifts but it wasn't anything negative i think it was just like like i moved into the bigger room i I got started getting all the gifts under the tree for Christmas, stuff like that. Um, and my brother and I didn't really like, I, I say I was definitely the little brother to him and kind of like seeing what's new and what he's doing. But he and I didn't really like hang out very much. Right. Uh, we'd go to like work together sometimes and we'd go to church together, but we never were like, we never did like much outside of that. Um, so I guess there was just like a little bit more of a, me having more of the house to myself once he moved out. Right. Um, how was your How was your relationship with your mom growing up? And I'm I'm curious if it's changed as you got older. That's a good one. Um, so my mom is also one of the more singled out, like uh, different people in the family, because she was the first to have a kid. My brother is the oldest um, out of our like generation of Briggs kids mm-hmm. um, but yeah she had my brother when she was 19 and so she had a pretty like her life changed pretty quickly uh, where she had to take care of a kid with her mom um, but I guess in so many words my mom is uh, she's by the book like Christian like I'd say also I'm a Christian um, but I'd say, uh, like, so I think that'll make things a little bit more easier to understand. But, uh, yeah, my mom, like, growing up, you're lucky to not get lectured by her on the way to school about (laughs) God. Like, Mm. you say one wrong thing, and then it's like, boop, here we go. 25 minutes of preaching this morning. You'd be lucky if she turned on the gospel CD. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah. and in so many words, she was strict. My mom was very strict. And a thing to note 
uh, that'll paint the picture a little bit more is like it is when my brother was growing up was when or i mean it's been going out going around going on for decades but like you got to look out for young black boys right we're gonna especially if you're not living in a dope neighborhood already if you're not living in a rich neighborhood you got to be careful the things that uh you ex that you're exposed to and the things that you like the people that you end up hanging around because sometimes you'll hang around the wrong people be in the wrong situation and the one thing leads to another right. um and i know when i was younger um i think my brother was maybe 17. he had went driving somewhere with a friend and a shootout broke out and he got shot in the leg uh and my mom fucking freaked out of course yeah. she would right yeah um, of course but i yeah that was that was a wild time but that probably really affected her because i wasn't allowed to play with i mean neither of us were allowed to play with any guns growing up mm. uh no toy guns no nerf guns no video games with guns yeah. uh really not really watching movies with guns like anything was just like awful because i mean we hear on the news today little boys playing around with toy guns getting shot by the police right yeah. and also just like growing up and you're like, you know what? I do need a gun. And then that heightens your, uh, yeah, you get it. Uh, yeah, but, I get it. And uh, I mean, that's like the, <clears throat> that's, that's the other side of the, the dangerous aspect of it. Right. Like I'm sure your, your mom's intention was to like make it so you guys aren't used to being around guns or weapons and exactly. partaking in violent behavior. But now there's like this other very insidious side of things where it's like, yo, the police might kill you if you're a kid with a gun or something that looks like a gun yeah exactly and yeah. i like i didn't know you don't understand these things as a kid right. um uh because you just haven't seen the world in a different view from an adult but uh yeah i wasn't able to play with any of that stuff growing up and my mom was very strict i mean guns were just one portion of it girls yeah. was another thing of it like when i was 16 i want to say um or 17 yeah between i was like a sophomore in in college in high school in high school sorry and i wanted to spend the night at my friend's house and it was a girl whose house it was but it was also another guy friend and another girlfriend that were going to be there mm -hmm. and uh they lived they had a really nice house they were like friends that i met through private school that had whose family had money but um yeah, I was allowed to go over there and I was able to stay and as late as I wanted to before it was time to go to bed, but I wasn't spending the night over there. And my mm. parents like drove an hour out to pick me up after being at this girl's house for <laughs> four or five hours. And they were like, I hope you have fun, but yeah, you're not staying. And they drove all the way out and picked me up and took me home. And I did not say shit the entire ride home. I was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> Because yeah. it was embarrassing, man. It's yeah. like, I want to, like, kick it with my friends. And, like, even though we're going to go to sleep, you get to wake up the next morning, get breakfast and do that stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. And what she was doing there was making sure that I didn't, like, my mom isn't me. She can only do what she can do. And I could have easily been going over there wanting to get laid and then mess around, get some girl pregnant. And then there goes the rest of my life. And that's the way that, that's how mm -hmm. quick things happen, you know? Right. Um, and so she was being a protective mother. Uh, and that, like, not being able to 
really walk around my neighborhood very much. My parents still like even if I was walking, or even if I went to go to like the the Wawa, which is the East Coast's version, better version of Seven Eleven. Um, it's just gold. Um, There's no Seven Eleven over there. Oh, we got Seven Eleven, but nobody goes to Seven Eleven. Everyone goes to Wawa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, that's another story for another podcast, but yep. uh, yeah, even, like we had one that was like a quarter, not even a quarter of a mile. I mean, like a tenth of a mile away, like a ten-minute walk from the house, maybe fifteen. Yeah. Um, and they never let me walk there. Mm. They, it was always if you're going to go to Wawa, you're going to drive to Wawa. Right. Um. So the picture that I'm trying to paint here is that I lived a very um, protected and sheltered childhood, much more protected and sheltered than my brother. Yeah. Um, and because I was pretty spoiled and uh, my parents, like, I can't name a time that I put something on my Christmas list for Christmas and I didn't get it. Mm. Like, I legit cannot, unless it was a car. And I got turned down on that one a couple of times. But <laughs> um, like remote control cars, every single gaming system that came out, I was spoiled mm. as heck. Like, I got pretty much whatever I wanted. And I wasn't a, I was like, I worked hard in school for this stuff. I wasn't like an idiot. Like mm-hmm. um, all this time spending in your room, you might as well do good at school or do well at school. Um, but yeah, and then that all changed when I went to Napa in high school, mm-hmm. uh, Napa, California. Um, I got accepted into a art school that um, it's only a semester long art school and they accepted like 40 students out of the country, I want to say, um, every semester to just come and do art stuff in, in Napa. Greatest experience, but it was huge for my mom and she had shot it down the first year because it meant letting her son that she's like, that's been her baby for uh, the past 16 years go to the other side of the country that yeah. she's never even been of and not, won't be able to like drive over to pick me up or something like that and it's a boarding school with girls living right next door to me it's everything i get to go mm-hmm. come and go as i please it sure. was wild um so that was that was a big thing for her and i think now is just she and i have an understanding that i know she's going to freak out if i don't like respond to her good night text that she sends every day mm-hmm. even if i respond to it in a weird way like if I've even either been drinking or I accidentally do like send an accidental thumbs up or something like that, um, <laughs> she'll she will legit call me yeah. and be like, "What's up?" And like, "Oh man, you didn't even give me a second to correct my typo." She's like, "Nope, you know how I am. You know how I am." And my mom's the biggest sweetheart in the world, but she uh, is very very protective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes sense, right? It, it's it's like a reaction to everything she went to, through, everything maybe your brother went through because of that shot. I mean, it it, it just makes sense that she would treat uh, her youngest kid like that uh, to be over overprotective and make sure that he stays safe. So yeah, exactly. And the, it's also like you're she doesn't watch the news anymore, but it's like coming home every night and you're listening to how many people got shot that day. Mm-hmm. Like you see that shit on TV. It's not a fucking joke. Like, yeah, that's the news every day. Um, is something like that happening. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into the into the topic that we want to talk about. So in the past three months, there have been two things that kind of coexisted and maybe have merged together to put us where we are today. Um, one is the uh, worldwide spread of the coronavirus, and the other is a continuation of what seems to be the constant and intentional murder of black and brown people in the U.S. by the hands of the police. Um, and that's a big topic, and I'm sure that you've been bombarded with stuff and been reflecting and and everything. Um, so I'm curious, how have you processed uh, your emotions or worked through your emotions in response to those two things? Yeah, I'll. Uh, luckily, I did some thinking on this last night. Um, COVID was interesting because. I'd say that definitely took the cake for being the most, uh, the for being like the most in my face uh, for the first like ten whatever twelve weeks of uh, shelter in place. Um, I'd say after I got into the hang of like a new routine of like going out to ride my motorcycle every couple of days, going on walks, doing some yoga in my bedroom, having my own little dance party to make sure that I'm getting those feels out and everything. Once I figured out the things that like now made me happy in this like new normal of COVID, it actually turned into something that was not too bad, you know. Like I also had like a friend that I'd go like kick it with every couple of weekends. Um, it got to a point where I was able to transform me being in my room so long into me just working on projects. Like mm. it turned into this. The first couple of weeks of COVID for sure were like the most creative I have been in a very long time. Like I couldn't stop my brain from coming up with ideas and I had to like come up with a regulation so that I didn't like write all of them down and be like, all right, I'll think of one thing and then I'll like write it down on my phone. And then if I think of it, oh, no, 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 it was... Oh, I'd be on a walk and like I'd be walking around and then the creativity would start flowing from just the things that I'd see on the street. And then I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this? And then I'd write it down in my phone, right? And then by the time I got back home and I was like more relaxed and yeah, back to normal, I'd look at my phone again and sometimes I'd be like, yeah, that is terrible. Or <laughs> opposed to like, opposed to like, uh, rat holing on the idea on my walk and then constantly thinking about it and trying to be like oh but what if it became this and what if it became that i just write it down so that i then can just pick it up later and i can go back to enjoying my walk so there was a lot of that um but then i slowly i slowed all that stuff down once the like initial hit shelter in place wore off and then i just started focusing on like my motorcycle um work and like going to yoga and those were my things. Yeah. Have you changed anything? Have I changed since then? Uh, have you have you yeah. changed like habits? Have you noticed any changes in um, your emotional state? Like anything like that? I'm more aware of them. I'd say um, like background. I really didn't even know that I had emotions before like two years <laughs> ago. Like mm -hmm. they were never explained to me as a child. And I just didn't know what it was. I thought if I was feeling something weird, then I thought I was sick. Like, mm. legit, I thought I was sick. Um, 
What emotions? I wonder. I wonder it was if, usually. Like, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I, I, I just wonder because, like, for guys, for men, it's like certain emotions that we don't want to let in. But then I feel like other emotions, like anger, um, we regularly feel and we understand that that's anger and that's also an emotion, you know? So I just wonder yeah. if, what emotion, what emotions are you talking about? I think it's, or not, I think it's the, it's being sad and like being depressed. And being guilty was a big one. Um, but anger was always the one, like, I, I know when I'm angry. Like, I know when I'm mad. Yeah. Um, but I never knew anything in between. <laughs> so, right. like, like I said, I'd feel something and be like, oh, that's weird. Am I, like, coming down with something? Um, but there's been a lot of, like, having to be, I guess, I guess to answer your question of, like, how have you been processing and how have you just like seeing um, yourself change through this time. I feel like I've gotten better at acknowledging it when I'm feeling something, opposed to saying like, oh, this is weird. I need to just go on a walk and then that'll make me happy again. If I like do, if I go on my walk or if I go ride my bike or something like that, I'm like, that usually clears up this feeling. I'll go handle that. Um, and it was this thing where this is what it was. I thought that I could before, like today, like the, like within the last, I'd say, three weeks or so. Before then, I thought that I could control how I felt, meaning like in a reactive state. I thought that I could feel sad and then I could do something to make myself not feel sad anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I know that I'm sad. I'm like, oh, this feeling in my chest means that like I'm sad. The fact that my face wants to droop means that I'm sad. Um, when I am sad, I should go do this to make myself not be sad anymore, not be happy, but just like be a little bit more neutral. Yeah. Um, so you were reactive to your exactly. to whatever emotional state you were. You you basically reacted to get rid of it. Yeah, and but I didn't look at it as like not dealing with it. I looked at it as me solving the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and. Uh, I'll just tell you about what happened literally like earlier this week. Um, this is like me realizing that I don't have control over it and that I am not as aware as I usually think that I am of my emotions <laughs> because I like got out of the, the shower one day and I was just like feeling like uh, just pretty low, like not energy wise, like you're sick. I just felt like I was just like internally melting, you know? Right. Um, and I was like, what is going on? Am I, is this really what I'm like a feeling right now? And usually when I can't like tell what it is, I blame it on emotions. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go walk around. And I like canceled plans with a friend. And then I just like kind of laid in bed and pondered over it. And um, I ended up calling up a friend and like talking about it. And realize that the things that, so on top of COVID, on top of uh, the Black Black Lives Matter movement right now, I've also been like fighting allergies over the past couple of weeks that have been like, this is easily the worst year I've ever had allergies. And I had really bad sinus headaches. Um, And also I like couldn't hear anything really. My hearing was impaired for the past two weeks which meant that I couldn't do the few things that I enjoy, or at least I'll lead to why, like this, this plays a part in all of this, I promise. 
Um, but like, I can't ride my motorcycle if I'm if I can't hear very well because I'm going to be less aware and I'm going to be in this like dream state and I won't take it seriously. Um, it's not my fault. It's just what happens subconsciously. Um, so I couldn't do motorcycling. And one of the things um, I'm going to go a little bit out of direction here, but like one of the things that has been most impactful for me for during the um, ever since the George Floyd, George Floyd uh, murdering, like, and everything else that has just been constantly thrown in my face whenever I open a screen yeah. or walk down the street and see stuff painted on walls and stuff has been like walking around. One of my favorite things is one of the most stressful things right now. And I live in a like pretty nice uh, neighborhood, or at least I like to think so. But um, in in San Francisco, like I'll walk, yeah. I'll be yeah in San Francisco, and I'll be walking down the street. And like my anxiety will kick in and I'll be like, um, either I'll like make eye contact with someone or I'll see someone looking at me and I'll be like, shit, what are they wondering? Are they like, oh, that's a black guy. I wonder what he's going through. Mm. Or are they thinking something else like, a, like, what does he have in his bag or something like that? And then you'll see a cop car and basically... I'm wondering, uh, oh, we did the Earthian post before, and I think that is exactly, I think mm-hmm. the last line of that like little piece that I wrote of like, I fear being next is exactly what's going on when I walk outside. Like, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily afraid, but I'm just in this cautious, hyper-cautious state when I walk out the door, yeah. and it just feels good when I finally like get alone on a block. Or something like that. Um, right. And you're just afraid of, like, people misin- uh, is misinterpreting the word, misjudging you or something, or thinking that you're something that you're not and thinking that you're a threat in some way. And then everything just happens so fast. And just all the stories that you hear, you make it seem like it makes it seem like you have no shot um, of saving yourself, which I would get into the habit of once I feel myself going down these holes, I'd be like, look, Isaiah, you are definitely wrong. Because I just know that everything that goes to my head is usually wrong. Like, it, whenever I'm trying to plan the future, it doesn't go right. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Um, so one of them is just, like, preaching to myself in my head, like, you're wrong, you're wrong. And the other one is, like, whatever is going to be is going to be. Mm. And you can't change. You can't stop anyone from being anyone. And those are, like, kind of the things that I'll, like, tell myself when I'm going through that. But where this all comes into play is I thought that that was me solving the problem. I thought that was me solving the like, the fear inside of me or the caution inside of me. Are you talking about when you said you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I thought that that was me like dealing with it and being like, good job. You like settled your emotions. Right. Um, but I think it's wrong. And that's what I was talking to, like, like figuring out the yesterday was that, I would do all of that. I'd have that like heightened walk around and then I'd come home and go back to doing whatever it is that I was as if I didn't just like lose my shit on the street, you know? Mm. Um, and I think when I was in the shower, it, and when I got out of the shower, because uh, in the shower you're alone with your thoughts as well, but like when I got out, I just realized that like maybe that's what's going on, that I've been, although I think I'm dealing with something, maybe I'm just like suppressing it and I'm not really feeling it. 
Right. I'm not really allowing my body to totally set, like soak it in and like feel it. Like maybe I should just like walk down the street and let myself be afraid. Like, huh. because it's an honest feeling, let yourself really exist in that moment. Um, but I feel like in the moments that that stuff happens, I'm like, oh, I don't need to feel that. Like I can deal with it. I don't need to feel that. Um, and the analogy that I came up with is it's like, uh, COVID and everything plays a part in that. Like, you know, the trash cans that have like the little, uh, like when you close them, they auto com- compact all the, uh, trash inside of them. Mm-hmm. And then you open it back up and you're like, oh, I got like six more inches worth of trash I can fit in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like that's what I tend to do with my emotions. Right. Um, something will happen. And it'll go into the, I'll be like, cool, I'll toss it, toss it into this emotions bin uh, where it just stays in there. I don't really deal with it. Or I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know. But the emotions go into this bin. Um, so take COVID, for instance. COVID happened, boom, you're no longer interacting with your friends. You're no longer going to concerts. You're no longer uh, working on bikes with friends. Like a huge portion of the things that I love doing got stripped away from me. That was a bunch of emotions that I like talked myself through, threw into that bin. Mm. All right. Fast forward to the murdering of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter protests, all this stuff. Like, I I think I even told you that when there was the big mission, there was a big uh, mission in San Francisco uh, protests. And I was like, "Ah, I don't really feel like going. I don't want to be outside and feel like I'm shouting for my own life. It didn't feel comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm totally for it, I think it should be gone. I just didn't feel like it was my place. And then I went to the window and I saw these floods of people going by to the protest. And I was like, change my mind. I was like, cool, I'm going to go. Um, there was a lot of like fear and tension being in that protest that was very heavy in that moment. Again, came home. Whew, glad that's done. Tossed those emotions into the trash bin, hit compact. Cool. Got, got enough space. And then the thing hit with like my my hearing and my uh, like my sinuses and all that stuff. And then that was more like anxiety and like not being able to enjoy listening to music as much as I enjoy. Not being able to listen to birds chirp and the wind in the trees when I walk outside. Like I can't hear any of that stuff. So that was another chunk of things. But for me, I don't see them when, like, all these things that I'm listing out here, I can only do it because now I'm in the, the future and can look back. But yeah. in the moment, I don't think about any of this stuff. I don't think I'm tossing anything into a trash bin. I don't look at it as that. I look at it as like, all right, that was a thing that happened. Now it's over, and I don't have to deal with that. But in reality, there's these emotions that are sticking with me that I don't even notice uh-huh. that end up being the things that build up and then make me like want to lay in bed for an hour and a half <laughs> yeah. uh, in the middle of the day without, yeah. So I'd say like the, since I've been spending more time in a very controlled space being my bedroom, I am feeling what I'm feeling a little bit more, or I'm noticing my feelings a lot more because I can't just like toss a conversation on top of it. Right. If I like see someone at the office like that. And what I've learned to this point was that, yeah, I don't, I, what I've learned to this point is that trash in the, like, trash compactor thing that I do, and I don't know how to necessarily get around that just yet. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, right? Because, because uh, if you're in public, 
you don't necessarily want to freak out or like have a breakdown or something like that. So that's part of why we, we, we feel like we have to control our emotions. Um, have you thought about how you can stop putting emotions in that tra the trash compactor? Like you have any ideas? Um, I think something, something uh, hit me this morning and I think it, it's not a crazy idea. It's just, feeling what you're supposed to be feeling in that moment and listening to your mm. initial reaction. Um, yeah. Another good example, I, I fucking love my job. And it was like, I went through a very complicated uh, and very overdue um, promotion earlier this year. And I had to like, basically jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get it, whereby people that were at the company like a portion of the time that I was there were getting promotion and they were getting positions that they asked for, whereby I didn't get any of the positions that I really asked for and then decided to just shut up and get whatever they were going to give me. Um, and then this morning I got an email from uh, one of my colleagues saying that they were about to put someone up for a promotion and it was because they did a good job on a good thing. And I think that they should be getting that promotion. But it just, in that moment, I had a flashback to my promotion process and how we didn't send out, like my boss didn't send out a nice email saying like, oh, I, we're going to get Isaiah up for this or anything. Hmm. Like, it was this, just like another hard example of um, just like bringing up that, old baggage of that shit that I went through to get my promotion. And in that moment, I felt mad. Like I felt it, I like watched it all, or I felt it all and paid attention to it all happening in my head. Like I read that email, I got that initial hit of like, mother fucker, man. Like I'm proud of him, but, um, and then I caught myself and I was like, you know what, Isaiah, it's already done. You, uh, you got your promotion. You're glad with your current position. Like, you have a good job, like you're living it up. And then I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's right. And then I caught it and I was like, oh shit, I didn't let myself get mad about that. I just threw that anger into the trash bag. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm gonna be mad about this. I don't have to tell anyone I'm mad about this. I don't have to like, like send an angry text message to anyone. Just be mad. like. Let your face be angry. Let your, let, like, feel that heat inside of you. You don't have to be, you don't have to turn everything that's bad into something that's really good, which is what I do a lot. So I think that, that that's a good example of, like, something I didn't do before um, that I think I should start doing, which is honestly just be more mad because a lot of things piss me off. And I don't, a lot, and I talk myself into, I talk myself out of being, pissed off of those things because I'm always trying to look on the bright side of things. And when you're always looking at the bright side, you don't allow yourself to feel the dark, like bad thing. Right. I'm curious. So, so one thing that I, I've heard that has been helpful for me is like saying this phrase, like, for example, if you feel angry or if you feel sad or depressed, you say like, Hey, um, anger is welcome here. Like in this space where I am anger is welcome here or sadness is welcome here. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, it sounds weird when you say, when I say it out loud like that, but 
mm-hmm. when you actually do it, it feels like you aren't necessarily feeling the the emotions in your body so strongly. I mean, you are, but it feels more like you're sitting with your emotion. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting literally with an emotion in front of you and mm-hmm. you're sitting with it and kind of talking to it. Um, that's been super helpful for me. And that's, that, that's, a, that's been an interesting way to think about uh, how to feel emotions. Because one thing that I have trouble with is, you know, same thing, anger. Um, and I feel like for me, I let it, uh, I let myself feel anger to the point where I feel like it's unhealthy. So, you know, obviously there's a balance and I, mm-hmm. I go over that, that uh, healthy line. Um, so I'm curious, like, how do you, I mean, have you noticed a change? Like just letting yourself feel it? What, what, what did that feel like for you? I mean, the thing for me, and maybe you don't, maybe you, you feel this way as well. Honestly, I, I love the feeling of being mad. Mm-hmm. I, I love the feeling of being angry because it turns off so many filters in my life. Yeah. Like walking, like, like wanting to be like, please just say something so I can just <laughs> fucking like rip you a new one. Um, and for a lot of like, it's a confidence. It's the con, yeah, it's the confidence. Yeah. Like, I feel like I need, no, I don't want this, but maybe if someone like, maybe if I read that email when I was like in a club or something like that, right next to like, someone who looks like Halle Berry, like our generation's Halle Berry or something, and I got that text and all that, like, anger peeped up, like, fuck this, I'm gonna go talk to this Halle Berry. Like, I'm not gonna overthink this crap. Um, but basically, I just feel, yeah, it's the confidence, and you feel so powerful when you're mad. And um, so for me, I was like, I as soon as I got past the point of, like, you know what, just let yourself be mad. Like, I was like, all right, cool. I'm fucking pissed right now. And I'm like packing my stuff up because I got to go to a doctor's appointment because my ears hurt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like um, it, it made for a very interesting morning. And I don't know. And I haven't thought about it since then, actually. Now that we're talking about it, I haven't thought about it. Like when, when you felt it, what, uh, how did it resolve? It fizzled out. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I'd say that like it didn't end on me being like I'm like there wasn't a point where I was like, I am no longer mad about this. Um, and a portion of it could have been because I had to ride my bike to the doctor's office. And on a motorcycle, you typically just forget about everything that was right before riding the motorcycle, and you're just hyper-focused on being on the bike. Yep. Um, and I think by the time I got, yeah, even by the time I got to my doctor's office, I didn't even like think about it anymore and it's not to say that this is the most angry thing that i've ever like angry feeling that i've ever had it was just like a little button being pushed and like dealing with it in the in the slightest but yeah i wouldn't say that there was a point where i was like i am over this it was just like this that that anger was no longer there yeah that's awesome that's great man um i feel like you're finding this stuff out so much earlier than I did in my life. <laughs> I'm super jealous because uh, it probably would have saved me so much like heartache and pain. Um, so that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear about like your experience moving forward uh, in the next few years or whatever. For sure. And like to, to just like speak to your last point, like it's been a very, very weird ride ever since uh like i 
like my my ex like I, I guess you say my girlfriend and I or my ex and I broke up ever since my breakup last year um because mm-hmm. that's when all of this like transformation started like to come into play I'd say and I I I feel like like a part of me was I'd always get a little annoyed with myself when I think about it again because it was almost a year ago and I keep on being like dude why do you keep thinking about this why do you keep relating things back to this this is so annoying and then I had to like be honest with myself and be like, I was never so unhappy with myself with the way that I treated my ex. After like as like those months after that were some of like I felt like garbage. I felt like a terrible person. Um and that's what sparked all this like introspective thinking and like starting to like consider emotions and because I was feeling guilty, if anything. Uh, for a long time and uh, it would always be like man I wish I would have done it differently man I wish I would have done it differently and then now I'm like that's just uh, it's one of those life-changing experiences that people have to go through in order to like grow you know like if I never uh, if she and I never broke up I would have never like learned about a bunch of these emotions to be honest or at least it would happen in a different way like i've had to like feel so many things and realize so many things about my personality mm-hmm. that are just kind of negative but um yeah i would say like it's just been it's been a wild wild ride and it was all sparked by a by a nasty boom but uh you're you're saying like looking forward um like what do I what am I looking looking forward to? What do I see in the future? What do you what do you? Ask? Oh, I, I was asked. I was just saying that I'm curious, like, to talk to you in the future and see, like, oh, how how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I love doing these check ins, man. This is uh, it gives me a chance to really just like think about what are the things that are on the like uh, the things that have really stuck in your mind all the all the years. Yeah, I I referred it to. Have you seen Inside Out? Yes. Can you describe it? Yeah, yeah. So Inside Out was the was a movie. I think it was by Pixar, but it was basically the main characters were emotions in this girl's brain, and this girl had just actually moved to San Francisco, I think. Um, and she was feeling really sad and depressed because she moved away from friends and stuff. Um, but you get to see fear, uh, mm-hmm. anger, um, joy and sadness and uh and there was one more oh i think like gross or something like that um yeah but there was one portion of the movie where like every single memory they like oh man they did this so so well of like um uh making a physical memory was like a little like crystal ball and then they all lived on these walls and there was a portion of it that are it's like this long-term oh it was long-term memory yeah um and it would be these special, special glowing balls that they put up on a wall. And I feel like when we have these conversations where we're able to go deep, we're able to pick off some of those like uh, long-term memories and talk about them and really dissect them. Yeah, definitely. That that's a I love that that scene where like it's basically uh, it looks like a canyon, right, of memories, basically mm-hmm. walls and walls full of um, these these crystal balls. Yeah, I love that. Um, so. I want to talk about something that I've seen you uh, post on social media a lot recently, uh, which is awesome. Um, and if anything, like this is 
this is probably a silver lining, if anything, to to this whole situation that's happening with um, the Black Lives Matter movement and all that, um, which is that I feel like you've been discovering like black artists, photographers, designers, inventors. Um, and it feels to me like you've started to maybe feel pride in your blackness. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it, but that's how it comes off from from the outside, um, as well as seeing uh, seeing pride in black people. So I'm curious, how does it feel for you to discover all of these all these people, all these black artists, designers, entrepreneurs, inventors? It's an incredible feeling to come across some of this stuff, to be honest. Um... To give you a little, just another like, like quick trip back to my childhood, I went to, like everyone in my family, of course, was black, uh, except for my Uncle Manny, Puerto Rican and proud. Um, we, like I said, um, the area around me wasn't very inspirational. Like, the people up the street didn't drive really nice cars and stuff like that. Um, and... One of the things here was I wasn't around black people that were doing great things. Mm. Um, I was around in private school. I was around a lot of white people doing, well, I guess just normal white people things. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like going to, going, going to, going to Harvard and starting a accountant agency or accounting agency or whatever it may be. There was no surprises there. Uh, and the Black people that did go to my school, 95% of, I, I shouldn't even put it in that way because it wasn't enough to have that big of a percentage. There's probably like eight of us in our graduating class or if that many, seven or eight of us in a class of like 100. Um, and I could be, my numbers could be a little bit off, but there weren't very few of us. And most of the Black people in the class, it was all boys high school. Um, were doing sports um and i gave up on a sports professional dream very early um but basically there weren't many black brainiacs in the room mm -hmm. including myself because i was not the smartest kid in high school um and now and the same went through college uh and yeah you just you don't really it's not and i'm not exposed to very uh, typically very like genius level black people or black people that are just like really artistic and really doing something with their, uh, something interesting to me with their lives. Right. Um, and now I'm able to look on Instagram for like do a scroll for a while and come across some really talented, beautiful black art. Um, I'm really into photography. So, um, and black women are beautiful. So there's a lot of beautiful black models on, on Instagram, just playing with really cool photography. Um, you mentioned the inventors that were from like the night, like the, the late 19, like inventors from like two generations ago, we'll say. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the thing that is happening right now is I'm starting to feel a, a deeper connection with a, with, more sides of being black and i'll dig into that a little mm. because i came up in the middle or i came up on like we weren't we didn't grow up in a ghetto where my neighbor was selling pot and there was a shootout out front of my house every day i didn't grow up in um although that was within a few miles i grew up like i said in a kind of a quiet neighborhood 
and then I went to school in a really preppy area. Um, so I was never really around um, many. I wasn't around violence. That's the word. When I was like when I was growing up, I wasn't around a lot of violence, and I also wasn't around around a lot of black success. Aside from my dad being like uh, doing really good, could do a good at uh, Casey Bacon Company. Very proud of you. Um, <laughs> but like no one starting a business or anything like that. That's all pipe dreams and shit. Uh, right where I'm from. Um, and what this movement has done has made me feel the low. It's opened up such a deep sore for like the way that my I am around white people and the way that I speak to white people. And it's like bringing to light why I do change the, like bring up my, my voice a few octaves, why I do make myself a little bit more smiley and positive. So I'm a little more approachable. Right. Code switching. Yeah, yeah, code switching, exactly. Um, it's put that a little bit more into my face, and all of it comes down to being like a, it's all defense mechanism. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that sore was kind of opened with this Black Lives Matter, like with this BLM movement, I'll just say. What do you mean by sore? Uh, what is the sore? What is causing the sore, or what caused the sore? Yeah, good question. I should explain that. Um, and honestly, I should, I think I said it better earlier of it not being a sore. It's, becoming more connected it's bringing to light the different um types of black that i was never exposed Mm. um and those different lights are in the very racist side of it um so being very exposed to racist america i was never really exposed to that um like i was never uh called a nigger or anything like that growing up like no one like threw toilet paper at my fucking window in my house or anything like that. I was very right. blessed to not be around any of that. Hmm. Um, and like I said earlier, I didn't know much about Black success or Black people being geniuses. So those are things that I don't um, typically feel connected to. And now I have been connected to the violent racist America uh, and white supremacy and slavery and all that stuff. Now I'm learning about all of that. And through that, I'm becoming more connected to the Black community. Right. And through that connection that was kind of made in a negative way, this uh, movement is also very inspirational. It makes you want to move. It makes you want to do something. And that's what makes me want to learn about the positive things about the past and being Black. And that's what brought on the inventors and now artists and photographers. Yeah. um, What... What did that do for you? Like, did it did it shift something? I mean, it sounds like it did. What is that shift? Uh, what is that shift that happened in you? I guess one of the things that goes through my mind is that, like, whatever it is that I want to do, it's very possible. Like, um, I can't think of anyone specifically. Or the man, I forget his name, but the guy who invented the super soaker was a black guy. Yeah. Um, the fact that he, like, all I ever wanted to be in my life was an inventor. And the fact that he invented something so awesome and that is so relevant that everyone is able to say, like, oh, I just bought my kid that or I grew up using that yeah. is unbelievable. And it's like, I want that feeling. And he just proved to me that you can be Black and do that. And now every other inventor that I come across or every artist, it's like, you can... Um, it's like, this is all possible to be successful. But I'd say the 
other side of this is a similar feeling that I had at Afrotech, which is a uh, tech conference for uh, Black techies, essentially, or people that are Black that want to get into tech. Um, and I went to the conference for the first time last year in Oakland, and it was overwhelming at first because you're finally seeing people that look like you that are talking similar and interested in talking about similar things. And it's very, very, so many different emotions. Like one part of your brain is kind of like in an alarming point. It's like, you're not special. You're not special. You're not special. Because <laughs> you see all these people that are doing what you're doing, if not better. Mm. Right. But there's this other beautiful like side of it that can only be described as like this Wakanda feeling of like, Yo, we could take over the world right now if we tried to. Like, we're so capable of this. And now that I'm looking at these different, uh, like, we're like different artists and photographers and um, entrepreneurs, it's only broadening that map or broadening that uh, the reach, I guess. It's like more different uh, occupations we'd have in our, our real world Wakanda, if you know what I mean. Right. And it's cool. It's cool to discover Black people in places that you normally don't see Black people. Especially when you grow up like me and you end up being the nerd in the room where no one, like, where being a nerd in the room isn't cool like it is in San Francisco. Being the nerd in the room is like, watch your back, make sure you don't get your ass whooped when you go to walk to your car. Um, like, it's, it's a really interesting feeling and it's a very inspiring feeling. Yeah, And it makes me, like, feel like I finally can root. Like, it's like, cool, I'm like, I'm rooting for you. Like, this is really cool. I'm glad that you're doing this. Um, it's really funny now to, like, go through, because, like I said, I've always been into photography, or I've been into photography lately, but now I'm being, uh, now I'm going in search of more Black photographers and Black artists. But before then, I saw a bunch of, like, cool pinup uh, models from just, like, white models and stuff like that. And there's, it's such a funny shift now when one of the, like, a white model pops up in my uh, Instagram search. Because I'm just like, wow, she's super white. Like, that is, like, <laughs> so, <laughs> like, like, even some of the, like, TikTok videos that, like, pop up, I'm like, there are some really white people in the world. Like, it's, I don't know, it's just such a shift because I am, like, coming off of, um, being in i've been in san francisco for six years seven years and then i was in private school for let's just say seven or eight years so yeah. my life has been the past like 15 years i'll say like 13 years of my life has been very white and now i'm finding this uh avenue to connect with the black community yeah. Uh, through what I love, and um, it feels like I can like ease off the throttle a little bit because I know that there is a community that like has my back, or there's another place that I can go. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so it it's it's interesting. There's two sides from how I'm I'm perceiving it. There's like one side where um, finding out about these these inventors, these techies, um, uh, finding out about them has kind of caused a shift for you and how you 
perceive uh, the black community as well as yourself. And then there's also like a shift with how you how you interact with the black community. I, I wonder, like, can you talk about that? Uh, has this like how has this changed your relationship with um, the black community, I guess? Interesting. Very good question. I guess one of the questions that I had to ask myself that was actually pretty serious was like when the protests were going down, because I said like before, I don't see, I'm not the type of person that wants to be out on the street. Also, I don't want to just like bake in anxiety all that time. Um, so protest, like protesting wasn't necessarily my thing. And so I had to ask myself like, well, if you're not going to protest, what are you going to do? Because you have to do something because this isn't a joke. This is real life. People that look like you are losing their lives and people that don't look like you are spending their precious time to root for what's right and to like defeat racism. You can't just like sit in your room and do nothing and just watch it all on Instagram and read articles and stuff that doesn't feel productive. And like, sure, you can donate to different, different groups and you can send emails to governors and judges, but that for me doesn't feel productive. Um, and so I was just like, well, what am I doing that's gonna, one, make me feel productive, and two, that could make some sort of a change or make some sort of a difference. Um, and that's what led to like my latest project of making an Afro pick. Um, if you look back at the, uh, during the Black, uh, Black Panther, uh, time and also the civil rights movement movement there was a afros were definitely a thing and there was this like afro pick that came out of all of it and it's the afro pick that most people buy today and I, since i've been growing out my hair i haven't like really liked a lot of the afros on the market it was a really good opportunity to use my skill set as a designer which there's very few black designers and like give an effort to making something that is quite ugly and also no one will really uh no one in the design world cares about black people yeah i'll say that um they might like it for the aesthetic of it but they're not gonna really do much for like no one's gonna redesign an afro pick and i mean that in a way like no design studio that does nice work is gonna show care to a product like that um I was, I ended up being wrong because uh, there's a company called The Pattern, which is owned by, I always forget her name, um, but a very famous black actress. Uh, and they have a really dope comb that uh, my friend sent me. Um, but it's still not for, not something I would use and it's not for guys. And so basically I had to figure out, uh, I decided to do this project because it was a way for me to feel productive. It was gonna be, it's gonna be a gift uh, the design itself will be a gift to the black community. And if we, the plan would be to like talk to black lives matter about it and then see if they want to do like a new round of picks or something like that. Um, but doing this felt like it would at least do something. Uh, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something for the black community. So I guess my, in a way of answering how has my relationship changed? I feel, I don't have the feeling like I owe the black community something i have the feeling like i am one with the community and i want to do something to help that community thrive yeah 
for sure. Even if that means like wearing a dope pick, like people like feeling like they're wearing dope shit. So if I can design a dope pick for someone to feel empowered or feel dope when they're walking down the street, then cool. Yeah. I think one of the things that we talked about before we started this uh, interview is uh, something that you brought up and you said that you wanted to talk about this idea of escaping the stereotype. Can you talk about what you meant by that? Yeah. Escaping the stereotype. I'm trying to think about what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I so think, then... I think you were talking, sorry, I think, I think you were talking about how you felt like you had escaped the stereotype before. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that's a good, th- good thing to say. Yeah, I definitely was able to escape the stereotype of being 18 and having a kid, living home with my mom, and uh, not really having a real job or a college degree, and being another young Black man that doesn't really do anything with his career. And that is a very, very real stereotype. And I feel like I was able to, through both the way that I grew up um, and also like my dad's decision to send me to private school with my mom were ways of getting me away from becoming that stereotype. Um, And now I, it's funny because you, there's a lot, you have to make sure you're doing it for your yourself and you have to make sure you're looking out for yourself the whole way because a lot of people will probably call me a sellout for like being out here and uh, especially being in San Francisco and like working with the people that I work at and uh, doing all those things. But yeah, I think what I meant by like es- escaping the stereotype is just being able to become my own person and kind of be able to build my own story yeah. and do honestly whatever I want, which is a very rare thing. Um you also mentioned before an interview that you, and we talked about this, that you had um, a running list of questions and prompts to yourself that you wanted to address at some point in the future. Um, did you want to go through some of those questions now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give that a, I'll break that down a little bit as well. So yeah. one of the things, this talk, talk, touches back to what we were speaking about earlier about um, dealing with my emotions and what I learned and what works for me and what doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. One of the things I forgot to mention this that I did start doing that is really nice is writing in a journal and just talking about like I'll start a set I'll start a like paragraph of like I don't know how I'm feeling right now, but it doesn't feel great. And then I'll just start piling through shit like I've been thinking about this and work's been like this. And then I'll be like, oh, maybe that's why I've been feeling like this. And then this would explain. So it basically is a little therapy session with myself journaling. Right. Um and now, as I got more comfortable with that, I was like, oh, actually, writing is actually fun. And now, uh, or over the past like couple months or last month, whatever, things just pop into my head that seem like an interesting question that I should explore in order to learn more about myself. Right. Um, so like a past question that I wrote about was after like, like I had a minor crash last year with my motorcycle. And also, I have a couple of close calls here and there. And I had to ask myself I day, I, uh, one day, what was my goal as a writer or what kind of writer do I want to be? Like, I wrote it down on a post-it note, put it on my wall, and I listed it as a writing problem. I was like, one of these days, I'm going to feel like writing, and I'm going to choose one of these questions, and I'm going to click on it, or I'm going to start writing about it to learn what my answer is. 
Because right. for a lot of complicated questions, you can't just be like, this is the answer. You have to talk it through. But then you come out of it learning more about yourself and what you want, and it feels really good. So that was, that's just an example of why I do this. Um, but another one of the questions that I have, yeah, some of them are like funny. Like, I don't think that I'm the type of person that can sleep around with a bunch of girls because I've tried it and it just doesn't <laughs> work for me because I'm too much of a sweetheart. Um, <laughs> But then there's uh, some other ones that have been pro pro provoked by the um, current uh, like racism issues in, in America. Like uh, we talked about my dad's decision to send me to private school that helped me escape being that pro the, uh, the stereotype and allowed me to like be educated and see this other type of the world and this other way of living that like you can, you don't have to be like a filthy rich rapper to have a comfortable life, which is the only thing you think when you don't really hang out with people that have money. Um, one of the, another one was, oh yeah, uh, it, this one, it's not a question, it's just like a, a sentence, but I said, these riots point out how important and valuable my life is. Hmm. Um, can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, and it, it, it got really freaking trippy really quickly, <laughs> really quickly yeah. when I started thinking about it, because usually when you think about it, like if I uh, think about like my current situation, which is, uh, thank God, comfortably living in a nice little apartment in San Francisco, which is a very expensive city to live in. I love my job. I have really good friends. I'm decent looking. I'm black and all those good things like i like that stuff is really cool but the riots and everything have shown me that it's reminded me that there are very few black people around like very few black people in my in my field very few black people in my neighborhood and it's all for many different reasons but one is that you like i feel like i've been able to get out of the stereotype once again and do something but it also shows the kind of it like puts you on a, um, maybe it doesn't put you, not in a way that you're above anyone, but it puts you, it make, like makes you shine in a little bit different way because now you, it's like the, like with great power comes great responsibility and saying that like, look, dude, you've made it this far. Like you got to keep going because they don't let many people that look like you get this far. So make sure that you keep on pushing and keep on climbing for the top and don't let anyone stop you because you're a very rare type of human that is experiencing this life, right? Yeah. And it was, I, I think that was provoked by also like a comment from my brother, which was to realize my opportunity and to realize that not everyone gets this ride that I'm on, um, especially at this, like, like at this like point in, like this early in life, like, I don't know, it just like added a certain, see, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sit down and like go through my therapy session. So we're just like figuring this out on the fly. Yeah. But um, it's, um, yeah, it definitely, it just made me feel so, I honestly, I think the only way to say it is it made me feel rare, which is a very interesting feeling. It feels like you're, it feels like there's an edge to like a mountain or like a, if you're on a flat piece of land and you're like standing on the very edge of it uh -huh. and it's like it's 
like when you move your foot, it like puts a piece of land in front of you or something like that. But I feel like I am standing out from, I feel like a representative of the black community in this very white space. Damn, I think that's what it is. That sounds like a lot of pressure to me. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it feels like that to you or does it feel heavy or does it feel light? Uh, honestly, man, I, in that moment, it was, it didn't feel heavy but it felt almost cru- like, I don't know if maybe crucial might be a little too harsh, but it, it didn't feel like nothing. It felt like, cause I, I feel like I can, I, I, I pair pressure with like, like stress and weight. Mm-hmm. And I think it felt a little vulnerable actually. It felt, it felt like I was, it was like, I don't know, maybe if, <laughs> I want. I want to. I want to say it, it felt feels like I was. Uh, it felt like I was running. It felt like I was running. But then I thought about that get out scene. Uh, scene of the grandfather as the sli- as the. Uh... Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, that's a oh. terrible reference, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! You felt like but the yeah, grandfather. It... <laughs> I, I didn't feel like the grandfather. I just felt like I was, I, it was this feeling, it was like a, almost a rush of like, it was urgency. I feel like it was urgency. Mm, mm-hmm. That's what it was. I felt like it was like, it wasn't that I had to do something right then and right there, but it's like, do something big or do something that is at least big to you. Like live the shit out of this life. Right. Because yeah. you are living a very, like, if you're going to drive the Ferrari, if you're only going to drive the Ferrari once, you better fucking floor it on your way out. Like, if you're, if you're borrowing it, if you're borrowing your friend's Ferrari, you better fucking tell the girl in the parking lot that it's your Ferrari. Because fuck it, when are you going to drive a Ferrari ever again, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's what it was. It was, like, a feeling like, like, good job, dude. Like, make sure you do some shit with this. And um, I guess there was, maybe it is, I think that, like, this it's all like starting like connecting back to each other in the conversation. I think there is pressure built into that, but I don't know how to feel it or how to access it. Because if if I told myself this story or if I like I mean we're we're talking about it, but like when we're talking about it and we're talking about it out loud, it's like, man, that does sound like a lot of fucking pressure. Like it really does. And there's a little peacefulness when like the one that one of the things of, again about Afrotech was like this like, whoa, you're not special, you're not special. But it was also this side of like, yo, like there, this is nice. Like this is chill. None of us have to put on any weird white filters to be in this space right now. Mm-hmm. We're all just like brothers and sisters, all interested in the same thing and all like proud and rooting for each other. It was a really cool moment. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like this moment um, and I hope that this moment is like a pivotal moment in in culture, in in my black brothers and sisters, that like I I hope that it's like a pivotal moment for all of them as well in how uh, in how they see themselves in in what they do and and what you're saying too speaks to that. It's like I feel like I hope that this moment is something like that. And as I as I look into the future, into like 20, 30 years from now, with everything that's happening with coronavirus, with Trump, with all the economic and social issues, with Black Lives Matter, all of it wrapped up together. 
um, when you reflect on how it is now, what do you hope will come from this period in history? Mm -hmm. it's, a, that's a, it's a very interesting question because there's so much doubt that it's just gonna, that we're gonna blow by this. Like real talk, if we, if COVID disappeared tomorrow, I feel like this would all be swept right under. Mm. It feels so, this moment is so delicate. And I think it's, I think you're right in saying that like, this is like, I also want this to be a very pivotal moment. I guess I haven't given much thought as to what I'd want to come out of this aside from more black exposure, but more like, you know, one of the things that like, as I tried listening to more like black EDM artists, again, with the photographers and stuff and uh, watching more like black movies and TV shows, like this stuff has been around for a long time, but like we, the content is there, but no one watches it and no one talks about it. Like, like there's just not very many black people represented anywhere. And when it and usually when it's represented is represented in the stereotypical way. So I guess one thing that I'd like to see out of this is more <laughs> this is funny because I think it's something we talked about before, but like more I just want to see more black faces. And I want to see more black faces in places that everyone is used to seeing only white. And I feel like that'll do so much. But I mean, it takes a lot to get there, right? But I mean, in advertising and what's on the like top things to watch on Netflix, like advertise, uh, oh, I guess I already said advertisements, but I meant then like, I was put into the group of like, like scrolling through Instagram and shit, like buying shit that has black people on it and stuff. Because I feel like we, there's like this, like you could easily live in certain parts of this world and not think that black people because of the things that you expose yourself to, whether it be the same TV shows or um, whatever it is. And the only person you see a black person is when you go to a fast food restaurant or something like that and they're working in the window. And then that's so, what your brain thinks a black person is. And I think that's what the problem, one of the problem is, and I had to realize this for myself with, um, like black women and sorry if this goes down a longer route but like i feel like based on the stereotypes there is an idea of a black man in everyone and we need to change that idea to change people's biases which is one of the big things that uh has been coming up now that like i didn't even know was a thing but now that we talk about it like people usually have a certain feeling already before you even talk to them especially if you're black or you could be a white guy with tattoos or have a big biker jacket with like a long beard or something like that. Someone's going to think some shit about you. And constantly, and currently since so many of the representations of black people are either a thug or someone poor or whatever it may be that's negative, you don't open your, your mind isn't allowed to open up and expand the different types of black people there are. Um, right. And I say that, I had a similar thing with black women because there weren't very many black girls in, I mean, I went to an all boys high school and there weren't many black girls in the like private schools that I went to, that I attended uh, before high school and not very many black girls in college and not very many black girls in San Francisco. Therefore I'm limited to the black girls that I knew back in uh, Philadelphia 
and they and I don't get along very well. We're two completely different people. We'll say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the longest time, I didn't actively think this way, but the last relationship with the, um, the relationships in my mind with uh, black girls and the ones that I've seen walking around and all that stuff, it's just like, oh, they wouldn't, we wouldn't really get together or get along. So I guess that um, I'll keep dating white girls or whatever it may be. And uh, one day I caught myself and I was like, dude, there is no way that you know every single type of black girl. Just like people don't, there is no way that people like can base all black men off of like 10% of black men or 5% of black men, whatever that adjective that ties to that may be. And I realized that I was doing that towards black women. Mm. And like, sure, I have uh, one of my best friends is attending medical school right now, and she's black. And we've been friends. She's probably one of the oldest friends that I do have. I don't think that she there are many of her going around, you know, but I'm close minded to seeing like I will I would be extremely surprised if I saw like a black engineer coming to work for a, a black female engineer coming to work for a certain position or something like that. Yeah, there's a there's a portion of it where we constant again, I'll, I'll just say one more time, we see the same we see black people and doing the same role. And therefore, our mind isn't allowed or able to be open about the other possibilities. And I think that's one of the biggest problems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's like, and this is, this is not my issue to talk about, I guess, but there's, there's issues, like you mentioned, with the perception uh, within the black community of like how black women are. Yeah. Um, there's also the the conversation about colorism, right? Like people that are light skin versus dark skin. Like there's that whole thing and mm-hmm. like which one's better, you know what I mean? So that that whole that whole thing, it's like this perpetuation of self hate in a way. And and you know like the light skin and dark skin, like that happens in many, many cultures, but I feel like specifically with um with the black community it's very pronounced. Um mm-hmm. how do you how do you think about that? What what do you think about that that kind of big idea? I guess that never I understood it as a as a thing and I definitely believe that it is very real but like growing up like my, my my cousins were very light skinned because I mentioned earlier my uncle is Puerto Rican mm-hmm. um so three of my cousins were very light skinned they're also in my church like there were a few light skinned girls but no one was really ever treated negatively from the environments that I was seeing them in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never heard anything from my cousin about it. So colorism was actually a newer concept of mine that I didn't really know existed until I left Philadelphia. Um, And the only way that I knew it in existence was like, dude saying like, oh yeah, I'm really into light-skinned chicks or I'm really into dark-skinned chicks. Or someone saying like, man, you really like them light skin chicks, don't you? Like, right, right. outside of like dudes having preferences, it wasn't anything. Uh, I never really got much out of, uh, heard much about colorism. But I do, I guess I kind of understand it, but I haven't specifically partaken in it or under, like seen it happen in person or spoken to anyone that it's happened to. Okay. Before I ask my last question, is there anything else you want to talk about? I guess just like in a comparison to 
because I know you said you like wanted to kind of like see how things had changed in people over the time from like their the past like recording and interview we did. And I feel like I am in a extremely different place than I was before because I feel like I've become I've been spending so much more time alone, which I never really it didn't really the thought of it didn't really scare me. But I love being around people and I love doing shit with friends and I love going to shows and shit. And I still love being around people. But like this entire year, I've been like probably one of the most embarrassing things I'll ever tell or like I'm fine to put it on here because it's fucking hilarious. But like one of the funny, embarrassing things about this year was that I started it off. Like there was no one around for me to go hang out with to like clubs and shit on new year's eve so i went to a bar and like went uh to like dance and listen to music and bring in the new year and i was like fuck this if i'm not gonna stay home and like do nothing on new year's eve i'm gonna fucking go out and i'm gonna have fun even if i'm doing it by myself yeah and I did like this little pep talk once I I like left the bar at like 11:55 or something and went just walked around the block for a little bit cuz um I didn't want to do the countdown with everyone but it, I just had this like pep talk with myself like like you are fucking strong you're going to you know what you like to do you like to have fun you're killing it killing it in life like do your like totally do your thing and have a good time and don't let anyone like really like pull you away from what you love doing. But it was, I feel like I've just been, it went from being so much in my head since that breakup last year to Mm -hmm. being more of my, like figuring out how to be my friend in a better way and getting better at being in my space alone and being, being able to like ride through California through these like crazy back roads all by myself and like enjoy myself because a lot of people that I talk to can't have fun alone. And even before COVID, I joke around and say that like my life before COVID with kind of like being on my own and being a bit of a lone wolf prepared me for being on my own and being in my room all the time with COVID. So like, it didn't really shock me that hard when I had to stay here or stay inside. Um, And I don't know, I feel like it's just such a new thing for me. And it doesn't feel as new now because I've been doing it. But I just like cherish people in such a different way. Mm. Um, And I feel like I can empathize with people in such a different way. And also humanize people in in a different way like how 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 is learning how to spend time with yourself um made you more how has that made you more empathetic or understanding of people i think well so for one the empathizing part as we talk about like figuring out all these different emotions like when they are new to me and i'm like not sure what's going on and like my alarms go off i'm like I need to talk to someone because I'm like having this feeling or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I go through these lows, which mo- a little bit more background, I said that I didn't really start to feel emotions until like the past couple of years. I, if you, I'm the guy in the conversation with you bring up Isaiah. I feel, uh, you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but like, I'm the guy that's usually like, Oh my God, he's so happy all the time. Like, yeah, he's always like a ball of fun and all that shit. And that's who I am, or that's who I like to be. But that person isn't real. Like, it doesn't, like, that person being happy all the time is not a real person. 
because I am I am not happy all the time. And especially now as I get older, I'm not happy. All the time. But I feel like as I introduce a little more like sadness and a little bit more of emotions on the other spectrum, I talk to people and they're like, oh, everyone has that feeling or everyone goes through that. And I'm looking at them like, what? I thought this was fucking new. I thought something was wrong with me. <laughs> and when I have these conversations with people, I feel more like the same human that they are, opposed to feeling like I'm this alien all on my own. And when people right. go through things, I am able to like actually talk to them about like, oh yeah, I was feeling that way too. And I had to like do this to get out of that rut that I was in. And yeah. it's having these like way different conversations that I would have never thought I would be having. And even though they're not like laughing your like laughing your ass off, having a great time conversation, they're these beautiful like human to human moments where you're just talking about what you've been experiencing. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a way more well-rounded uh, like friendship or relationship. Definitely. Um, yeah, and I just weigh those so much more uh, and have so much more appreciation for the people that want to do these like deep dives with me, you know? Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like talking to people about these things, it's, um, you're talking about your own perspective, but then you also pick up other people's perspe perspective. And so you become like a more well-rounded person yourself because you're exposing yourself to other ways of looking at things or feeling things or whatever. So yeah. I mean, I love those conversations, and we we have those conversations all the time. We we did uh, when I was I was still in San Francisco, and yeah, man, it's just like a it's great to have a heart to heart with people sometimes, you know. Yeah, especially it, yeah, like one hundred percent, it feels good to have a a heart to heart, and it's like this. It totally feels like time no longer is really of importance, and yep. what's what's the most important thing is exchanging this these like feelings and perspectives and experiences yeah and i feel like you you just come out of it in such like a stronger person like there is so many incredible like feelings coming out of like uh when you really are having like a tough time and you talk to someone and you just like talk in circles for 10 15 minutes and slowly start to figure it out and then you come out of like you and your friend like figure it out and then you're like okay cool this is great thanks for talking to me about this and you hang up the phone and you feel like you took a shower in such a like internal way yeah yeah that's a great way to put it yeah it uh i've i've grown to like really really appreciate that and also realize how many things in life how many different thing how many different lives people are living i will say that like yeah. that is you on Earth, on Earthian, you had posted before about uh, about this man that was on the uh, on the train and he was looking at his phone and yeah, like you were just going through this moment, this like thirty second or two minute uh, moment or whatever it was, and it was so true. And there was way more like depth to that. Like maybe his ass hurt because he like sat on a pin at work or something like that. So like. He's living a completely different life than you. And I don't even know how to say that in a bigger way because it's saying so much. But I feel like the more I dive into like having these different conversations about how people see the world and then I'll walk outside and be like, oh, that person that just walked by me is living a 
freaking way completely different life than me. Yeah. And like, you, I see this so much with like with the traffic leaving the city at the end of the day with people that have to like drive home. That's like an hour, two hours away, whereby I'm just able to like walk up the street to my house. It's like these crazy feelings of how gigantic the world is and how like how just big life is, you know? It, 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 yeah, it, it doesn't really, it turns into like the opposite of a, it's quickly to be overwhelming. Yeah. It's not necessarily an ex- existential crisis, but um, it's, it's wild, man. It's so wild. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, um, I think we talked about this before, but one of the inspirations for Earthian is something called the overview effect, which is something that astronauts experience when they fly uh, into space and they look back at earth and there's like this, like uh, a sense of togetherness, like we're all the same and we just happen to be located in different places. Borders don't really exist. And it's like, we're just all humans alone on this planet, sharing this one human experience together. And it's a, it's a unification, right? It's like a sense of I'm connected to everything. And at the same time, nothing really is that important to really stress about and worry about. So um, that's one of the things that inspired this project. So that, uh, you know, I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're talking about it because that's one of the things that uh, really, really inspires me. And that's why I, I'm doing this whole project to talk to people like you and strangers on the street to figure out what kind of lives are they living, you know, compare comparing like uh, one human story to another human story regardless of who they are like that's the Mm -hmm. to me that's the interesting thing yeah it's uh it's beautiful to be able to contrast different lives and i want to like tie in on your like uh on the overview the overview effect yeah it sounds like like that mindset would be interesting to just like shoot people into space to show them how we are literally all on one planet together yeah Right. And like, see if it would change anyone's mindset on anything or if it would be like, you know what? Actually, I don't need to stress about my like mortgage bill that needs to be paid next week. Yeah. Like nothing can be that bad if I don't make my bill that day or something like that. It's not worth stressing about. Um, yeah. That sounds really interesting. And I've, I, I think about that from time to time because I know images do not do shit for like looking, looking at the Earth from the International Space Station has got to be the wildest crap in the world, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, even if you've done... I remember this blew my mind, dude. I was at work, and I had clicked on the, like, new Google Earth thing or something like that, and I was like, oh, I'm going to zoom out and see how far it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it zoomed out, and you could spin around the Earth. Yeah. And I started tripping at work, dude. Oh, my <laughs> God. I was like, what? Wait, wait, wait. I just zoomed in from this tiny little point. And I, that tiny little point is the gigantic building that we're in. Yeah. And I'm smaller than that building. And wow, it is, it is totally a way to make you feel tiny in a, in a kind of incredible way. Very, yes, definitely. I did that. I did the same thing. Um, I think if if anybody is really interested in feeling the like experiencing quote unquote the the overview effect i mean we can't really experience it until we experience it but the documentary series called uh, uh, one strange rock with will smith 
and mm-hmm. eight astronauts that went to space, they have amazing uh, visuals of of um, Earth. So like they'll show the aurora borealis, they'll show clouds floating across the surface of the Earth. You know what I mean in a sphere shape. It's it's amazing. Yeah, highly recommend that. And also what you're saying about flying people to space. I think I think every world leader should either be forced to fly to space or trip on acid. Because <laughs> 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 you're right, it gives you this crazy, um, it gives you this crazy perspective where that would be useful for a world leader, you know? Yeah. And also the, I remember like us like playing around with the idea of like doing this hyper-realistic globe earth inside of a gigantic building just to have people get like a small piece of that. Yeah. And and that's something I still want to do eventually. Yeah, I love that idea. And I think like that is that feeling of, I, we can talk about this and I'll let you get to your last question because I just like, uh, I, I really like talking about, talking about uh, Burning Man specifically. Yeah. Because you do have a different perspective on the world because you go to a different world. You go to a, a city that, yeah, it's in the middle of a desert, but if you weren't there when everything was being set up, you just think that, like, you could probably dream about this place and think you're on a different planet or some shit because you're so far away from anything. Right. Um, and you're in this place where everyone's dressed completely differently. Everyone's getting around on a freaking bicycle. There's no buildings. The only structures that you see are these beautiful things that get your attention when you drive by them um, or are playing music that is interacting with your senses in a really fun way. And it's just a completely different way to live life um, for a week. And yeah. I don't know. I think that a lot of people should experience. I, I it, It's funny because you never want to be the guy talking about Burning Man like that. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you start talking about it, you're like, damn it, I'm that guy. But it's, <laughs> I, I couldn't be I couldn't be more more accurate that like that is a a great first step to that's a great like first step to like getting to space or being or looking at the world in a different way because like I don't think I've had a similar experience ever because even on vacations you're going to a place where there's some type of infrastructure there's some sort some amount of rules and yeah. Uh, that'll rat hole quick. I'll let you get into your last question. Sure. All right. Awesome. So it's the same thing as last time. And I'm curious what your answer is going to be this time. It could be the same thing if you want. But so we as humans put up statues of people, not because we love those people, but because we love what those people represent. Um, when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue that represents you, what would you want it to represent? Yeah, I remember this question, and I loved it then, and I love it now. And I remember my answer from it then. And I, I think my answer was me smiling and dancing, wearing, like, some cool pants or some shit. <laughs> um, yep. Hmm. The thing that I'd want to... The idea that I think I'd want most in this idea, in this statue, is to really encapsulate a single person like a single individual uh, mm. if that makes sense and which means it could be something that maybe is a little weird um there was an astronaut that said something really 
interesting. Like when you go to space, um, in space, your spacesuit is your uh, spaceship. And since you're not in a gigantic vehicle, your spacesuit is your spaceship. Uh, it might have been during the like SpaceX uh, Crew Dragon launch um, that I heard that. But yeah, I'm not sure why exactly I brought that up. But there was something so special about that that stuck with me because I think I love moving vehicles and stuff. And I, love, I think that space is really interesting and spaceships are really cool. Um, but it kind of the way it came across is like a personal vehicle that that's going somewhere else. <laughs> it's an interesting <laughs> question because I don't think that the answer is. I think that the the feeling in the statue is the same, but I don't think that the the execution is the same. Maybe it's me, like flying or something, like me doing some metaphorical shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being specific. Like reaching for the stars or something like that. Uh, okay, okay, got you. Um, because I think at the time that we did that last interview, I was I was so in love with going to shows. I was so in love with dancing and having a good time. And I'm still the I still very much love going to shows. And I still love dancing. Um, but there's something more inspirational to, or maybe. I, it was like, I don't want someone to look at my statue and be like, oh, cool, that dude likes to wear cool pants. I want them to look at the statue and be like, yo, that guy really, Isaiah really did a good job being himself and being Isaiah. Mm. You know, like I want yeah. I want people to feel like it is okay to be their, their weird self. And I, I would want to do it in a way you know, you know what would be good. Um, I it's it's there. It's been done a couple of different times, but like the kid who is one day going to be an inventor, and he's wearing like a like an old helmet in the garage or something like that. I don't know. It's a hard. It's a hard one to put into context because uh, I I have the feeling inside of me of what I wanted to be, what I wanted to feel like, and what I want to look at and see and feel. It's just like this really hopeful feeling. Um, and it's like, like I said, okay to be yourself, but I can't figure out what that statue was. Does the feeling make sense though? Does that, does that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it is encapsulated in our conversation. Like what we were talking about earlier. Here, here, here's one. I like this one. Um, and it brings into my, my love for just mobility and vehicles. The statue would be of me doing my first uh, test drive in a spaceship oh. that was put together in my garage. Yeah, I love like super prototypey stuff. I think that when you see first prototypes in like uh, in museums, there's a very hopeful feeling about them because it's like it's something different and it looks very weird, but apparently it works and it's something like it's a thing. So um whoever did it worked hard on it or something like that and uh they took an idea and made it into something tangible and something real and yeah i think that's what it would be i think that would be kind of dope i like that way i like that much more than like the dancing dope if it's like me like in the in the spaceship also turning up the radio so that uh 
like there's music involved in it, but I love fucking working hard on vehicles and I love spaceships, the ideas of them. So um, that's fun. That, that made me feel a little bit like a kid answering it too. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the Earthian podcast, reach out to us on Instagram at WeAreEarthian. And of course, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you and have a beautiful day.